Hello, my name is Steve Smelsky, and welcome to Hope Through Grief. I'm here with my good friend and co-host, Marshall Adler, and we're getting ready to listen to the part two of the interview that we had with Alan Peterson. We had a lot of great information that we covered in part one, and uh, I think you're going to really enjoy part two as we listen through the rest of our conversation with Alan. Remember, if you've got any questions for us, please send them in through our website, and we'll bring them up and try and get answers to you over the next few weeks. And once again, welcome to Hope Through Grief and enjoy part two with Alan Peterson. So you mentioned that you had a lot of help early on with grief. Who did you, I know you've spoken with some of the doctors and I know you were pretty close to a couple of them. Well, yeah, again, to say I was a fortunate griever is, I mean, it's at every step. So I took that 10 week grief program. Now, as people are calling me to go out and speak at events, I'm getting invited. There's not really uh, um, a bereaved dad who's a, you know, I'd been in the music business who was a, a musician and a songwriter and a recording artist. And now there's this, so I'm kind of this anomaly in a way. So I got invited to uh, Vancouver, British Columbia to play at the World Gathering on Bereavement. And this was uh, 2000, just ride. I'd been on the road maybe a year. So I went there and they just wanted me to play music. You know, in fact, the, the, the guy who ran it, he was a great guy, ended up being a great friend of mine. But he said, don't talk introduce a song for a second. And if you're up there longer than 20 minutes, the floor is going to open up. We're going to drop you below the stage because we're on a tight schedule. But I got a chance to meet a woman there who is at the time and probably will always go down as, as one of the greatest minds ever on grief and loss. And her name is Dr. Darcy Sims. Sadly, Darcy died about five years ago, but she heard me uh, saying, and we talked, and she said, you know what, Alan, you're going to be a big voice in the grief world. You're going to be one of the biggest. And she said, I am going to help you every step of the way. And that she did. And she became my mentor. And uh, it was through her American and Grief Academy that, that I was certified. And, and, and then over the years, we ended up, there's a series, it's a bit like Grief Share, but it's called Walking Through Grief that I wrote and, and edited, and it's used a lot. Military uses a lot. The Catholic Church uses that a lot, but it's a 10-week program. Darcy Co was my co-host in it, so uh, we brought people in from all over the country with all types of losses, but we wrote workshops together. She helped me write my Healing Guilt and Regret workshop, which has just been, the, just been an amazing gift to present that workshop to families. You know, most people who uh, lost a child or had a close loss, there's some regret or there's some guilt associated with it. And so that has become just a wonderful work. So I was blessed to meet her, Dr. Gloria Horsley and Dr. Heidi Horsley from Open to Hope, which is the largest grief resource uh, website in the world. And they get you know, over a million visitors. They also do a podcast, but I've hosted radio programs, a co-host had been a guest on there and done music on I don't know, 30 to 40 of their television, radio, and podcasts. And we present workshops around the country. Dr. Bob Bauer from the Seattle, uh, Washington uh, area, another great professional. So I had these people at my beck and call that just mentored me and, and taught me 
how to do the work right. And um, because there's not a lot of people who do, uh, you know, what I do. So, uh, yeah, how fortunate am I and, and still today to have those people in my life? And they're the biggest fans of mine and, and biggest supporters of mine out on tour as well. That's awesome. So I do have to say grief affects your short-term memory because I had it written down here, Angels Across the USA Tour, and I said Across America. But uh, People that have known is, me 10, 15 years still say Angels Across America. They introduced me that way probably half the time because that's, you know, like I say, there's nothing wrong with being associated with Victoria's Secret. I think <laughs> neither of you have ever been associated nope. with I, I have not. But I have. No. See, just one Ashley would get a kick out of that. Yeah. And I'm sure Matt and Jordan would as well. That, yeah. that we have a connection to the to the to the models at Victoria's Secret. That's a story right there. Let me ask you this. You mentioned your two sons. How has their grief journey been? Because I know when I talked to my son David, his grief journey is just so different as a brother versus mine as a parent. And you know, he mentioned something that I think is true, that when a parent loses a child, it's almost natural that society is going to give almost all the attention to the grieving parent and the grieving sibling is not the major focus of their attention when their loss is every bit as good as, I mean, as, 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 as important as the parent. And, you know, genetically... They're actually closer to the sibling than the parent is. They've got, you know, this connection there that is just so different. So how how has your son's journeys of grief been different than yours or have you helped them through theirs? I'm always interested in that because it's just such a different dynamic as a parent versus a sibling. That is one of the most asked questions of families that have more than, than one child. Mm -hmm. and, and once again, I go back to where I had just the best. Dr. Heidi Horsley, who I just mentioned, who was part of Open to Hope, is a grieving sibling. Uh, her son, Scott, died in an automobile accident many years ago. Her mom, Gloria Horsley, they're both obviously grief professionals as a bereaved parent. And in working with them over the years, I was so fortunate because Heidi is probably the world's foremost expert on uh, sibling loss. As a matter of fact, she's a professor at Columbia University, and uh, she moved back to New York from San Francisco because when 9-11 happened, because they asked her to come back and be part of a long-term study on sibling loss in firefighters. There were so many there that they wanted to do some research. And so I had, you know, I, I just like, and you stated it just very well, Marshall, the grief journey is different. And, you know, depending on the age of, of siblings, but siblings grieve differently. Often, you know, siblings, I was taught, will grieve in spurts. So I couldn't understand my kids, you know, like I, I think they're grieving, my boys. And then they're out shooting baskets or playing video games like 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 nothing happened. What they don't understand about us is why we seem to be in it all the time, because they can't imagine it. And the other thing that you said that is the, the number one thing is 
uh, a friend of mine named Jordan Ferber. Uh, I think he's, he does a podcast called Where's the Grief? And it's he's a sibling, bereaved sibling. And, and he does a wonderful workshop called How's Your Mother? And uh, and it's exactly the point that you were alluding to is the support goes to the mother or they'll say to the siblings, oh, you got to be strong. You got got to do this. And I think what I learned in sibling loss and how I was able to work with my boys, it helped, but it was still a real struggle. I think boys in grief are difficult anyway, but our family dynamic changes. And, and when we talk about loss, man, we, we lose this child in our family, this, this brother, this sister, but we often don't talk about the family dynamics and how they change. And it's like that kitchen table that, that, loses a leg. Wow, we just had some lightning here, some thunder here. I don't know if you heard that. Um, we did. Hear yes, it. we did. But the dynamic changes dramatically and children play a role within the family. And so those roles change. So what I was able to do, I, I used to say I, my two sons, I had one that wouldn't talk about it and one that wouldn't shut up about it. And what I had to learn is this, the greatest gift that we can give to each other in our families is the gift of tolerance. So when I accept that you're going to grieve differently than me, then that's okay. And so what we try to do, and depending on the age of of the siblings, is to say, look, I know you don't want to sit around and talk about Matt all the time, but here's the thing. On this occasion and that occasion and this occasion, could you give me that? And in return, when you want space, I'll give you space. And what siblings tell us, and if you if you can get to a Compassionate Friends conference, and hopefully we have ours live and in person in Detroit next year, Marshall, we actually bring siblings in and put them on a panel and have parents come in and just ask questions of these siblings. Mm. And they'll tell us all of the ways that we can help them, forcing them to talk forcing them into therapy, those things are, you know, they're not necessarily helpful. But then we also want our siblings to understand that our greatest fear is that we would lose another child. It's always there. And so we become maniac parents sometimes. We can't help it. Wow, I am like in the middle of the storm. But we can become maniac parents. So it's a fine line, but the tolerance with my boys to let them grieve the way they did. You know, my son who wouldn't talk about it, it's just like a crazy story. You know, they were younger than Ashley, but about five years after Ashley died, that son was sitting with me and we were playing songs on random play on an iPod. And one of my songs came on, I've done four CDs and, and I think the song was called Daddy, How High Is the Moon was the song. And well, it's hard for me to even tell this story without choking up. But my son heard the song and he came over and he sat on my lap and threw his arms around me and just began bawling and just said, Dad, I, I miss her too. Mm-hmm. So those moments, uh, you know, they come when we don't expect it. But if we offer the open opportunity and we keep our kids alive in our lives. Our kids are talking to somebody. They have friends that they talk to. But yet, on the other hand, we want to keep a keen eye on them 
to make sure that they're keeping it between the lines, you know, but it, it's hard, you know, it, those are some of the hardest parts of the journey is we are just trying to take care of ourselves. As I look back the first two years, man, I'm just trying to get my socks on the right, the right color on each foot and my shoes on and to brush my teeth and to even function. And, and they're grieving too. So it's something that the more we can learn about how we can be a blessing to each other and, and give tolerance to each other, and the less we try to tell each other that there's my way. No, there's my way and there's your way. Tell me about your way. Tell me how I can help you, my son or my daughter, to grieve your way. How can I be a support and a blessing? And I'll tell you how you can be a support and a blessing to me in my way. And one last thing, one thing with boys, I think, is an issue. But boys can certainly, and girls too, but Anger can come in down the road and, you know, we can find it five years, six years down the road. There's this deep underlying anger. And sometimes it can just be that somebody said, hey, you got to be strong for mom and dad. You got to push it down. So if we can just get an open enough dialogue to talk about what we want to do or don't want to talk about, we can get through it together as a family. But tolerance to me is the absolute key to that. And the same way with spouses or anybody in our life, tolerance to let you feel what you feel for as long as you need to feel it. And for you to give me that same thing. You know, I think the tolerance is such a great thing for you to say, because what you mentioned about the fear of losing another child I had to think long and hard about that because I wanted Dave to live the life he was destined to live, even though he had to live it without his brother. And, you know, they were two totally different kids. There's no two ways about it. But they really loved each other and they had a great commonality to them. And now that Matt's gone, I see a lot of Matt and Dave that I didn't see before. It's funny, but I know Dave wants to achieve the best life he can and make his brother very proud of him. But as a parent, again, what I talked about before, the illusion and delusion of control. After you lose a child, you, you realize none of us live in a bell jar. You can't. And life is, the one certainty of life is uncertainty. And that's the one thing that I think I've tried to really be cognizant of that, you know, if I, I'll call Dave and he doesn't pick up, he doesn't pick up. I'll hopefully get a call back from him soon. And that's just part of life that I got to wait for that call back. And it would be unfair to him to have Matt's loss adversely affect him in that way, where I'd be too hovering. There was a lightning bolt, right? Maybe uh, the sign from somebody saying, right, do the right thing here. Just, I really think what you said about tolerance is, it's great. It cuts both ways because we have to be tolerant of our children 
I think when we yeah. are, our children are tolerant of us. Yeah. Which is, which is a blessing. Absolutely. Alan, you, um, you've done a lot of interviews over the years. You've stopped all over the U.S. on your tours. When you know you're only going to get one to two minutes on the air most of the time, what are the two or three things that you want to get across when you do those interviews, talking about grief or sharing about your journey of grief? Well, that's a, that is a great question. It's something I talk about a lot. Yeah, you know, you, you, uh, I don't care if you're in a big town or a small town. If, if somebody interviews you, the question that I get in some form or fashion every time is, Alan, how does somebody get through a loss like this? How do they do it? And, you know, I, I, I jokingly say, okay, so that's like a set of books, part one, or a whole weekend full of workshops, part one. It's a big question. The, this loss is so multifaceted and so complex. But I realized uh, that I had to give a quick answer to a very complex question. So this is how I answer the question. How do people get through a loss like this? Number one is you find support, whatever that means to you. Not everybody wants to go and sit in a circle, uh, a support group, but find support from somebody who's had a loss similar to yours. And if you can get with a group of people, more than one, so that they can normalize your loss. I talked about that earlier in the, mm-hmm. in the, in the interview. It's the most important, valid, if you, the number one thing that any of us seek is validation. So find support, whatever that means to you, a friend or a support group. And second of all, educate yourself about the grieving process. And then if I can expand, you know, on that, I, you know, and that's what I would tell them in support, you know, if, if it's a, someone from school, someone on Facebook, someone in your church, someone at your golf club, wherever, where you can just spend some time with somebody that you can talk to when you get squirrely, because we do get squirrely in this grief, who will look at you and remind you that you're not crazy, that mm-hmm. you are doing the most natural and normal thing you could be doing. You are grieving. Uh, and, and that in itself helps. And like I said, the, the number one thing when we go to a grief group or we buy a book on grief or we listen to a podcast, the number one thing we're looking for is validation. And validation, I saw a quote, I think I put it up on my Facebook the other day, uh, one of the best quotes I've ever seen on giving someone validation. And that means to accept their version of what they're feeling, not what you think the experience of what they're going through. And that's a huge difference is to just sit and listen and to let you tell your story and talk about what you're feeling without trying to have uh, having to try to figure it out for you. And then when I say educate yourself about the grieving process, I don't mean you have to go get uh, be a certified you know, grief recovery specialist or anything like that. But educate yourself a little bit that this is a physical. You know, most of us have had physical issues in our grief, that it's mental. You know, we, we, we can't. You know, we can't remember stuff. I say we're kind of like a calculator that's missing a three. 
You know, sometimes things just don't add up. <laughs> that's, just, that's just part of it. So it's mental, and we can't remember things like we used to. It's spiritual. It can cause a crisis of faith and to question everything we thought we ever believed in about our creator or whatever our, our faith is and, uh, you know, uh, what's fair in life. We question all those things. And when the more we understand that it is an assault to all of our whole being, then the better equipped we become to realize that to walk through it, it's going to be working on healing all aspects of our being. I can look at, at both of you gentlemen and I can tell you something that I am broken just like you. I might be 19 years down the road and I might, you know, you might say, wow, he's just really, but you know what? I still am broken just like both of you. And I'm glad I am because that broken is the love I have for Ashley and the desire I continue to have to keep her voice heard and to express that love because love did not die the day our kids died for us. So if that love is still there, then the question is, what do we do with it? If it didn't die, it's an energy and it's inside of us and it's got to be expressed. How do we continue to fully express that? So it's important that we understand that keeping that love in action is what actually can, can save our lives. So, you know, educate yourself about the grieving process, learn a little bit about it, and that helps you build um, to make a plan and to carry out a plan for how you're going to live the rest of your life. And so that the rest of your life doesn't have to be the death story. That for the rest of your life, the number one thing that we talk about when we talk about Ashley and Jordan and Matt is their death. But we can actually talk about their life. And we can talk about the life that they are, are living uh, today through us. So that's what I say. Educate yourself. Learn a little bit about it. Understand how it affects you so that you can understand how to. But so I'm broken just like you. And proudly broken. But I want to tell you another thing. I am also more whole than I have ever been. No matter what comes my way, this has been a difficult last year for me. One of the most difficult personally, uh, relationship-wise, business-wise, with the, with the COVID just wiping me out, uh, literally. But I am more whole today than I have ever been. Because what has been working for me will continue to work for me. It makes life worth living. Faith in knowing that I'm going to see Ashley again, I believe that. But understanding what grief is, what grief does, and also knowing that I have friends all over this country and uh, who walk with me, who will lay with me in my grief and who will support me. To have that in your life is a gift, no matter what your loss or what your story is. To have that in your life you're a blessed person, and I can say that. And that's where grief has taken me. Alan, the first time Shelley and I heard you speak was in 2015 in Dallas at the uh, National Convention for a Compassionate Friend. And in, 
I'd never heard you sing before, and you sang a couple songs during the weekend. And you got to that last dinner, and you sang, Tonight I Hold This Candle. I don't think I had cried that much. Except maybe... I'm glad my maybe, music could make you cry. Oh, it was all great tears. Um, how long did it take you to write that song? Because it was like, it is perfect. Well, thank you. I uh, That particular song, you know, songs are so different. I was at the conference in Atlanta, Georgia. For those of you out there who don't know, the Compassionate Friends is the largest grief organization in the world. And uh, with over 700 chapters just in the United States, around 700, we might be less than that now. But our national conference is quite a quite an amazing thing. And on the Saturday night of, of our conference, you've got about 1,500 parents, grandparents, and siblings standing together holding ca candles in honor uh, of our beautiful uh, children who have died. And so when I was in Atlanta, uh, that was my first conference all those years ago. That's when I sold the CDs, the first one I had. But I wasn't singing or I was just there for me to learn about grief. And when they did the candle lighting service, I'm like, this is like any, nothing I've ever experienced. I was sitting near the front that night. And as all the candles were lit, a lone bagpipe player came into the room uh, playing Amazing Grace. So like uh, you said, uh, uh, Steve in Dallas, I am just tears are coming. And I am like, it was a feeling I'd never experienced. And so I went up to my hotel room that night after the candle lighting. And I said, I've got to capture whatever this is that I just felt. This was just so special. And so I sat down and I wrote that song in about 30 minutes. And, and um, I didn't think a lot about it. I've had songs that I struggle with for two, three years. But a couple of weeks later, I was in Omaha and I played the song for my mom. And she looked at me and she said, honey, that is going to be the song that you are going to be remembered for. Which I tell people, uh, you know, uh, listen to your mom because, boy, was she. She's right. She right. And uh, of all the songs I, I've written off the four albums, that was from my second album, a little farther down the road. That song has just literally uh, found its it, its way all over the world. It's just been amazing. It it, it crosses all boundaries. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I've been honored. I always tell people this. It's ironic that Columbine High School, you know, happened right in the neighborhood where my compassionate mm -hmm. friends chapter happened. But if you would have told me then that at, through the years, as these horrific shootings came, I kind of had a perspective on Columbine as a reporter. And then Ashley died, you know, uh, after that, but that I would play that song tonight. I hold this candle and work with families from Sandy Hook to, uh, mm -hmm. you know, to Parkland to, to literally the Pulse nightclub down near you guys to nearly oh, yeah. every uh, uh, horrific site uh, that song has played or I've, been there working with families so that song opened up a lot of doors because it crossed so many boundaries and I, I still play it every night when I play it it is definitely the biggest song of my writing career and it, it has allowed me to to do the work that I could do because people would buy that cd just for that song so many 
Well, that was back when we had CDs. You guys remember those? You'd put them in your car, and uh, that's how you get your music. Uh, not I through do the have air. that CD. That's right. <laughs> Marshall, any last thoughts, questions? You know, it's just been such an interesting conversation because, you know, grief is such a all-encompassing and complicated journey. And, you know, I always love talking to somebody like you because as you get older, you realize how much you don't know. Like, um, I used to tell my kids that the, um, my friend Ted that died after Matt died, I knew him since I was 12 years old. He, he was brilliant. He went, he went to Harvard Law School, and he was a really unusual guy. He went to Harvard Law School, but he did what every Harvard Law School graduate does. He joined the Marines. He was just a crazy guy, and he was my all-time best friend for like 50 years. And when we were 17 years old in high school, we used to walk home together. He went one way, halfway on the trip, and I went the other. We just stand there and talk, and we just thought we knew so much about life that was easy for us to see. And I told my kids, I said, I, the rest of my life was realizing how much I didn't know. That was probably the zenith of my understanding of life when I was 17 years old, because obviously you learn more things and you say, you don't know this, don't know that. So learning about somebody like you that's gone through this journey for 19 years has been a honor to hear it because you've done such wonderful work and it is a tribute to Ashley, which is what I want to do is a tribute to Matt. And that's a wonderful roadmap that you've given me to try to follow. And, you know, you always want to keep on learning. You know, again, I won't get too much into sports, but like, as I mentioned before, we're sort of a tennis family. My son, David, was a very good tennis player. I've been playing tennis my entire life. And we all know when you meet somebody, it's, oh, yeah, I play tennis. Oh, that's great. And and they'll say, you know, I'm really good. They're not. The really good tennis players say, I'm okay. Because if you're really good, you play really good players. The only way you get good is playing really good players. And the more really good players you play, you realize, I'm not so good. I got to keep on getting better and learning in the same way, like so many times in, in law, you know, I'm a 40-year lawyer now, and I'm still trying to learn. And I'll see some lawyers that think, boy, they're just the smartest person in the room. And they think that it's guaranteed they're not because they're not learning. There's such a world out there that you have to keep on learning. And I, the real intelligent people that I've met in my life are the ones that don't put an emphasis on what they know. They put an emphasis on what they don't know. And talking to you has given me great insight into what I don't know about this grief journey. 
And that's what I want to keep on learning. I know what I know. I don't need that reinforced. I need to know what I don't know. And you've been a godsend to give us insight into that because your journey has been almost 10 times longer than mine. You're 19 years out. I'm two years out. And again, I can't thank you enough for doing what you've done. And I were, you know, Steve and I are trying to do what we can to help others as a tribute, you know, to, to Jordan and Matt. And you've really been a um, role model for us to follow on our path. And again, for that enough, I, I can't thank you enough. Well, thank you. Uh, I, I, I appreciate that. And you know, I, you said something, I, I believe it was before we were on the air. And if I could close with this, I, I just think this is the most encouraging thing that I see out in the world. If, if ever grief is just filling the air of the world, it's now with all of the deaths to COVID and the thought processes about it. But I tell people this, this always gives me hope. I don't care what city you go to, any city I travel to and anywhere or probably around the world, but you go to that city and you don't have to look very far to see that that city is a better place because somebody lived, somebody died, and somebody who loves them continues to honor them. And that's why we have the new wing to the hospital. And it's why we have that set of ball fields. It's why there's a stop sign down on the street corner where the, mm. where the little, little child was run over and, and killed because the family fought City Hall. It's why we have scholarships and we raise billions of dollars to help cure diseases. And we have organizations uh, like MAD and others and, and Grief Share and the Compassionate Friends because people want to continue shining a light that the love inside of them has the desire to cast. So this world is a better way. And if you took collectively what we do in honor of our loved ones, there are no small ways, whether it's that little random act of kindness of opening a door for somebody or whatever it is we do. But the love, the power of that love that we continue to have for those we love who have died and left us here to carry on that love, it can light up the world and it does light up the world. And I have been honored today to share the conversation with the two of you. You are shining a light of love and you don't have to know it all. You don't have to know that much. You just have to know that, you know what? You want to be a source for somebody who may not, who may think they're all alone. And you don't have to grieve alone. Grieving is lonely. And this podcast and what you are doing is a reminder to somebody who listens. But you know what? You are not alone. There are many of us going through this. And together, we can help each other to just keep doing the next thing. And if we do the next thing enough times, we create a life. We create a legacy. My job is to continue to build Ashley's legacy. Your job, Marshall, is to continue to build Matt's. And yours, Steve, is to continue to build Jordan. And I think all of our children are in pretty good hands. So thank you so much for having me. It's, it's, it's just, just been a wonderful experience getting to know you guys 
better and to be a part of the work that you're doing. Thank you, Alan. Thank you for joining us today. And thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. It was a wonderful experience. You're welcome. I'd like to personally thank Alan so much for his wonderful insights and words of wisdom today that truly made a big impact on me. And I hope that the audience enjoyed it as much as I did, because I think he's a really interesting person, caring with a lot of really insightful ideas as to how to deal with the grief process. So again, I cannot thank him enough for being a guest on our show today. I, I agree, Marshall. I've I've met Alan several times and listened to him speak. And Alan, I just can't thank you enough for coming on today. Your stories are awesome. You hit on a lot of great topics that we hadn't covered before. So I would just like to say thank you for coming on. And everybody, if you'd like to help Alan and support him, you can meet him on his website at angelsacrosstheusa.org. And you can help him sponsor the tour. If you've got an angel in your recent past, you can go ahead and put them on the van and they can travel around the country with Alan. Once again, thank you for joining Hope Through Grief. Remember, if you have any questions for us, please go ahead and submit those through the website or on Facebook, and we'll go ahead and cover them in an upcoming issue of Hope Through Grief. Thank you, and have a good day, everybody. Thank you for joining us on Hope Through Grief with your co-hosts, Marshall Adler and Steve Smelsky. We hope our episode today was helpful and informative. Since we are not medical or mental health professionals, we cannot and will not provide any medical, psychological, or mental health advice. Therefore, if you or anyone you know requires medical or mental health treatment, please contact a medical or mental health professional immediately.